Hi everyone, welcome to the No Time to Read podcast. This is your host Arif Ashraf. I'm a plant biologist and in every episode I'm going to invite the lead author of a recently published plant biology article to share the story behind the paper. As audience, your goal is to tune into that episode so you don't have to read the paper. Welcome to the podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to the season two, episode nine of our No Time to Read podcast. And in this episode, we're going to discuss about a recent plant fish paper, which is focused on DNA methylation and gene duplication. And we are very fortunate to have the first author, Sunil, with us to talk about this paper. Welcome to the podcast, Sunil. Can you introduce yourself and your work to our audience first? Yeah, thanks, Arif, uh, for the introduction and thanks for having me on your podcast. Honestly, uh, since you started your podcast, I always wanted to get my paper published so I can uh, come on your podcast. So this is great. Uh, I'm currently a postdoc in uh, Ken Birnbaum's lab at the Center for Genomics and Systems Biology in New York University. And I'm working on comparative single cell genomics. I did my PhD in Sally McKenzie's lab in University of Nebraska where I was looking at utilizing epigenetic variation uh, in crop breeding, particularly looking at how we can utilize these variation for uh, climate resilience in crops. And then uh, when I was transitioning to postdoc, I also briefly worked with James Schnabel, uh, looking at comparative genomics in maize and related grasses. Uh, I joined Chad Niederhut's lab in the Department of Plant Biology um, as a postdoc, uh, and then started working on epigenetic variation and how it impacts gene expression and the evolution of genome. I am originally from India. Uh, I did my bachelor's and master's in plant biotechnology from India and came to U.S. for my PhD uh, in University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Um, You recently moved to New York City. How do you like the life at New York City and also NYU? Yeah, it's it's been awesome here. Uh, previously, I was in a big city in India, Bangalore. So I feel like I'm getting back to that uh, city life by going to New York City. And also NYU, I'm in the Department of Biology, uh, where there are five plant labs and many other labs which work on fundamental biology and cancer and single cell sequencing. Uh, and I feel like the environment is much more cordial and relaxed. In NYU, we have very friendly environment, not just among students and postdocs, but all the interactions that I had so far with even the senior professors here have all been very cordial and friendly. So I'm liking the environment and I, I like the city. And uh, in fact, I'm actually sitting, so maybe you're hearing some of the sirens. So you're he hearing the sound of the city. And if I'm distracted, it's because I'm sitting and looking at people walking to the Washington Square Park through to, uh, in front of my apartment. So it's been great fun living in the city and working at NYU. This paper we'll discuss today is about DNA methylation and gene duplication. Can you give us a brief background we should know as an audience to understand this paper? Yeah, sure. So uh, there are many examples of how duplicate copies of genes uh, can disrupt the, uh, disrupt the balance uh, or the genome dosage balance and leading to many genetic diseases in humans and other mammals. But plants are so much better at uh, 
managing these duplicate copies of genes. In fact, uh, plants have also good mechanisms to utilize this for uh, innovations and then trying to develop new traits through these duplicate copies. Genome duplication is more prevalent in angiosperms or the flowering plants than any other eukaryotic lineages. However, not all duplicate genes are retained. A lot of them uh, or majority of them are lost or they become pseudogenes over time, but then only a few of the genes are retained. So this is a long-standing question in the field, trying to understand how and what kind of genes are retained following genome duplication. So this was one of the things that got us excited. But more importantly, we were also interested in trying to see what are the epigenomic factors that actually influences this process of retention or pseudogenization of genes following duplication. So as I mentioned, one of the factors is DNA methylation that could impact how a gene is uh, retained following duplication. DNA methylation is the addition of methyl group on the cytosine. And in plants, we have this uh, methylation on cytosines in different contexts. For example, the CG context, where a cytosine is followed by a gonidine. And then we can also have cases where a cytosine is followed by any other nucleotide, not a guanine. And then we also have uh, other cases where it can be CHH, where H can be anything but a G. So CG methylation is different from this non-CG methylation. CG methylation is mostly found on the gene bodies. And when we see bodies of genes, so the coding regions of the genes, which have specifically CG methylation and none of the non-CG methylation, we call this gene body methylation. Uh, and then uh, there are cases where genes can be methylated in all three of these contexts, the CG, CHG, and CHH context. And those we classify as transposon-like methylated because uh, we see this kind of non-CG methylation mostly on the transposon. So we classify these genes as transposon-like methylated. And the third category, of course, is those genes that do not have any of these methylation. So in plants, we can classify genes into these broad three categories, and they're important because uh, the different methylation impacts the expression of these genes. Uh, and also the position of where methylation is found can impact how it influences expression. For example, if you see methylation on the transcriptional start site, that usually leads to silencing of the gene because the transcription factors cannot bind on uh, in those regions. Whereas when you see gene, uh, whereas when you see CG methylation particularly on the gene body, that increases the transcription of the gene. Uh, and if you see DNA methylation in all contexts all over the gene body, of course, it leads to silencing of the gene. So uh, this DNA methyl genic methylation classification influences how a gene is expressed. And this becomes very important when I talk about some of the results we found in, the, uh, in, in our paper. And one other thing I also want to introduce is the concept of ortho groups. So ortho groups are groups of genes which came from a common ancestor. And then there are a lot of genes uh, in the angiosperms that we classify as core angiosperm orthogroups. So these are genes that are found in majority of the species in the angiosperms, uh, and uh, uh, they are conserved across, across species. They can be found in multiple copies, and we call them core orthogroups, or they can be found as just a single copy. Uh, so these single copy uh, core angiosperm 
ortho groups are very interesting because irrespective of duplication histories, they have all come down to a single copy. So these are uh, what we call as duplicate resistant uh, genes, which are found in all the species, but majority of the times they are only found as one gene or as a single copy. So this becomes very important in trying to understand the importance of these genes. Uh, yeah, so these were the three important things, the gene duplication, uh, genic DNA methylation, and ortho groups that I think is important background when we start discussing about the results of my study. Very nice introduction. Thank you so much, Sunil. How and when did this project start? Okay, this is, this is interesting because... Uh, this project started as a side project. I joined Chad, uh, Chad's lab, and Chad was just starting his lab at that time. So we were coming up with ideas to start uh, many projects and then see which ones work, and then we can follow up on that. So in 2019, we had a NSF-REU student who came to our lab for the summer uh, research internship. And Chad has had previously thought about this uh, duplicate genes in Arabidopsis and rice, uh, so he thought, okay, let's in, let's uh, add some more species like soybean, common bean. And then that was the project for the NSFREU student, Marshall Ledford, who is the second author on this paper. Uh, so he did some of these analysis. Uh, and then we found that there was interesting family level differences when we look at how duplicate genes evolved in, uh, in the legumes compared to the grasses or uh, in, in Arabidopsis. And uh, in 2020, when the pandemic hit, this forced me and Chad to start thinking about uh, uh, making this as a full-time project for me. And I started getting into this uh, computational analysis. And then we thought, okay, there are some interesting family-level differences. Why not add many species so that we have a robust phylogenetic sampling? So we added uh, a total of 43 species and then we also added 928 Arabidopsis accession. So we, we just went big and then we thought, okay, with this, we'll have the power to really test what is going on in these families and how DNA methylation is influencing the evolution of genes. So it started as a side project and then pandemic forced us to make it as a full-time project. And uh, yeah, it helped me learn a lot of computational things during that time. So I'm grateful that uh, we, we switched over and made this as a major project for me. What are the take-home messages or the uh, common findings from this paper? Yeah, so I think this is, uh, in my opinion, a very comprehensive study. So as you can see from the paper, there are lots of figures, lots of tables. I think the supplementary figure file runs to 85 pages or something. So we, we have a lot of figures and a lot of uh, data that was analyzed. So for me, the main takeaway is that uh, whole genome duplicates and single gene duplicates. So when I talk about single gene duplicates, these are small scale duplications. These can be uh, tandem duplication where a gene gets copied over right next to it with or without intervening gene sequences. And then the transposon mediated uh, translocated genes where a gene gets copied over to a different chromosomal location. And in cases where we can look at the synteny with genes from other species and say, okay, this was the ancestral gene and now it has moved to a new location, we can classify them as translocated duplicates. And when we cannot ascertain where this gene came from or how this got duplicated, we classify them as dispersed duplicate. So we have classified 
genes into four different types of single gene duplicates. So these different classification of genes is important because genes in these classes evolve differently. For example, genes that are retained after whole genome duplications, they tend to show higher gene body methylation. And as I mentioned, gene body methylation is this uh, methylation of CG on the gene bodies that leads to increase in the expression of the genes. Uh, and also uh, these genes are more broadly expressed. Makes sense for these genes to be retained after whole genome duplication. But interestingly, we also found that single gene duplicates uh, tend to show more transposon-like methylation. Again, if you think about it, it makes sense because if you have a gene that is duplicated as a single gene duplicate, that might disrupt the gene dosage balance. So the, the gene has to be silenced. And we think that transposon-like methylation uh, silences these genes immediately, and that helps in maintaining the balance. And the next thing that we looked at is uh, looking at the synonymous substitution rates, or KS, uh, which basically is these uh, substitutions which do not change the amino acid sequence. So they are assumed to be neutral and they accumulate over age. So if a duplicate copy has more synonymous substitution, we assume that it has been there longer and accumulated more mutation over time. So it's an older duplicate gene. So by looking at the age of the duplicates, we show that uh, recent single gene duplicates, the ones which have lower KS values, they show more transposon-like methylation than the older single gene duplicates, suggesting that immediately following the single gene duplication, there is this transposon-like methylation that shut down this, these genes and helps in maintaining, maintaining the uh, dosage balance. And when we look at the whole genome duplicates, gene pairs which contain gene body methylated uh, genes, they usually have lower KS values or they are younger. And the older whole genome duplicates tend to show uh, unmethylated types. So this was very interesting for us because it's not that these retained genes always show gene body methylation, over time, they can get unmethylated as well. So this is something that I think a uh, lot more research has to be done to follow up on how this is happening. But that, I think, was interesting. The next thing that we looked at is if we have a pair of duplicate genes, do they retain the same methylation profile or do they switch in the methylation? And to our surprise, two-thirds of the duplicate pairs actually retain the same methylation profile. So for example, if paralog one is gene body methylated, when it gets duplicated three out of four times, it has it still has gene body methylation. And only a fourth of the time, we see that it changes the methylation. And as you, as you would imagine, this proportion is higher in single gene duplicates than the whole genome duplicates. And interestingly, when we see this switching of methylation between the duplicate paralogs, it also shows corresponding change in the expression specificity of the gene. So when I'm talking about expression specificity, I'm looking at the breadth or the narrowness of expression of a gene across different tissue types or in different conditions. So if you have a gene body methylated gene, which is mostly very broadly expressed in a lot of tissue types or under a lot of conditions, and when it switches its methylation to say a transposon-like methylated gene or an unmethylated gene, it shows corresponding change in the expression specificity such that that paralog is now expressed in very few tissue types or under very specific environmental conditions. So 
that suggests that very few uh, copies of genes change their methylation, but when it changes methylation, it impacts how and where the gene is expressed. And then one other thing we also looked at is uh, looking at ortho groups and how uh, DNA methylation might impact these ortho groups. So we can classify ortho groups into core angiosperm ortho groups, where genes are present in almost all of the angiosperm species or the ones that we tested. Uh, and then species-specific orthogroups where they are found in a very few species or lineages. Uh, so core angiosperm orthogroups are enriched for gene body methylation, again, as expected, because these are more broadly expressed and important genes. And then species-specific orthogroups tend to show more transposon-like methylation. But what's interesting is there are some of these core angiosperm orthogroups uh, I mentioned before, where they are duplicate-resistant, and in majority of the species, they have reached a single copy status. We looked at these genes, but then we also noticed that, I mean, this is noticed before uh, in from other groups as well, where some of the single copy orthogroup genes in some of the species have not completely attained single copy status. So they can be found in two copies or three copies. And I classify them as intermediate single copy orthogroups. So these are duplicate resistant uh, ortho groups, but they have not completely reached the single copy status yet. And when we look at them, we see that there is more methylation divergence in those uh, genes that have not reached single copy status. The ones that have reached single copy status show higher uh, gene body methylation, whereas the ones which are in intermediate state, they have higher transposon-like methylation or unmethylated genes. This was like super exciting for us because this suggests that this um, methylation silencing a gene is very important step to silence uh, uh, genes. And this could be a precursor to what happens during fractionation of the genomes uh, 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 following duplication. So I think this is one of the very interesting results that we found later. Finally, we also looked at the population level by looking at the 900 uh, Arabidopsis accessions and looking at a p-allele frequency. So looking at a gene, uh, if it shows gene body methylation in Columbia zero, does it also show gene body methylation in all 900 accessions or what proportion of um, accessions show this gene body methylation or transposon-like methylation? So what we see is that when the frequency of transposon-like methylation increases in the population, these are usually found in evolutionarily recent duplicate paralogs. Again, suggesting that whatever we are seeing across species, that same evolutionary trend is also happening at the population level. And then we can look at that uh, by seeing how they are evolving in different accession within the Arabidopsis species. So I think these are the major uh, takeaways from, from, from this paper. That's so cool and interesting. Thank you so much. What do you think are the next exciting questions after this paper? Okay, uh, I think that that's a good question. I, I know we have discussed about this a lot with you about how we can utilize this for some of your research as well. So yeah. I, I believe that this work has allowed me to form a lot of, uh, or at least a few hypotheses that we can test by either going deeper into a few of the species and seeing why this specific trend is happening in this lineage or in this family. But also we can go back and look at certain gene families, these ortho groups or 
certain gene families that are evolving differently than others. So we can go and dig deeper into these genes and then see, okay, how did DNA methylation influence the evolution of these genes as opposed to, say, the genome average or, or others? So we have a follow-up paper uh, looking at how uh, mutation rates are different in, in Arabidopsis paralogs. Again, we right. leveraged information from the 1001 genomes and epigenomes in, in Arabidopsis accessions. And I collaborated with uh, Gray Monroe and Dan Clevenstein from UC Davis. And we are trying to see how mutation rate changes um, uh, are influenced by DNA methylation or genic methylation profiles in these Arabidopsis paralogs. And this paper is in bioarchive preprint now. And the other thing is there's a lot of interest in also understanding how different cell types can employ one paralog or the other to perform a specific function. So this uh, can be tested now with the unprecedented resolution of single cell transcriptomes. In fact, uh, in, in our recently published paper from Ken's lab, uh, Bruno, the first author, he used both the whole genome duplicates and single gene duplicates in maize to show that these duplicate genes provide material for transcriptional divergence uh, for specific cell type functions. So I think now with these uh, uh, single cell uh, data sets, we can dig deeper into trying to understand how uh, uh, individual cells or cell types employ paralogs for specific purposes. And then we can see if that leads to functional divergence. And then we can start thinking about utilizing them for engineering crop species. So I think that it's it's very exciting to have this data set out published now so that uh, a lot of people who are interested in specific gene families can also think about uh, how we can utilize this data or go deeper into their species of interest or uh, gene families of interest. This is so cool, such exciting times to know. So I ask this question all the time, how was the review process from the bioarchive to the plant phase? What is your experience? What changed? You kind of mentioned there is an 85 page of the supplement, what you add and what actually happened during this review process. Yeah, uh, it, it's, a, it's a long story. So, um, um, so definitely the review process helped us improve this paper significantly. And I, I say this because if you look at the first draft we had and the draft we have now, or the published paper we have now in plant physiology, it has changed a lot. Uh, uh, so I, we had good and bad experiences with the, during the review process of this paper. Uh, I'll, I'll only mention the journals where we had good experience and not talk about the, <laughs> the journals where we had bad experience. So first we went to a, a top plant-specific journal uh, the review was quick, but we got some good uh, reviews, but it, in my opinion, it did not help us much. And then we went to uh, PNAS. Uh, there we got, again, the review was very quick. We got very good reviews. They had, they of course, rejected it, but they had very good questions that we started thinking about. Okay, these were the things that we we knew before, but we thought it was okay. But the reviewers were all asking the same question. So we were like, okay, we should think deeply about this. And one of the things was uh, because we are using 43 different genomes, 
how confident are we about the annotation of the genes because we are talking about genes which show methylation similar to a transposon. So how are we sure that it's not a transposon? It's a gene that has this uh, different kind of methylation that makes it do things differently than uh, gene body methylated genes. So, so when this question came, we started thinking about it and we made some changes and we went to another journal, which is not plant specific. We had really bad experience there where the reviews were not helpful. The editor was uh, taking a lot of time and we, uh, we, we spent a lot of time in that journal, but it didn't help us. So we finally decided to go to plant physiology. And after a few initial hiccups with plant physiology, we then got a good editor and, uh, and the reviews that came out in that uh, uh, from plant physiology really helped us. They asked us a lot of questions and uh, I had to work a lot to get all the revisions done. In fact, again, they asked the same thing about uh, annotations and uh, we implemented a new filter uh, to uniformly remove all the transposons or what we think are the transposons in these 43 genomes. So now we are sure that uh, it's very uniformly done across these 43 species and not relying on the annotation from different uh, groups that develop these genomes. So what that meant was I had to reanalyze the whole thing again, uh, but the suggestions from the reviewers were good. And one other thing that I talked about before about these duplicate resistant uh, ortho groups, that also came up through one of the reviewers in plant physiology where they asked about, okay, you talk about these interesting trends you see in the core angiosperm genes, uh, but you don't go deeper into this. That made us think about, okay, uh, we have this different sets of genes. They had asked us to look at species-specific genes, uh, but we did not find much uh, things there. But we went into the single-copy ortho groups, which showed that there is a lot of difference in the intermediate single-copy genes that are um, showing methylation divergence. So, yeah, so that helped us to change um, or to add these new analysis. But like I said, when we applied the filter, we knew that it would not change our main conclusions. But what happened is we actually improved the statistical significance in some of the tests that we had done. So even though we reluctantly did this uh, filtering step, that actually helped us uh, to say some of the things with more statistical power now. So I think um, the reviews in plant physiology definitely helped us. The editor was really helpful in uh, explaining to us what exactly the reviewers are asking and how we should analyze this so that we have uh, good chances of acceptance in the second round. And to our, uh, it, was, it was a pleasure to see that after we submitted the revisions, all the reviewers were very happy with the way we we made these revisions and how this helped our paper. So I feel like this is how a paper can improve from good reviewers and good editors. So I'm very happy that we went to plant physiology for this paper. Thanks for walking us through all the review processing. This is very helpful. I hope this not only helped the audience, but also if the anonymous reviewer heard that, that podcast, they'll be happy too. Yeah. So is there anything else you want to share about this publication? Yeah, so I think, I don't know if many people know this, but plant physiology has initiated uh, this new thing. Uh, maybe it was last year where you can add your non-English name uh, into the paper. So that was something that I had seen some people do. And I, I always wanted to 
do that. So when we had this paper accepted in plant physiology, I sent them uh, this request, uh, which, which they already had mentioned in the earlier process. So I told them, okay, I want my name to be uh, also added in Kannada, which is the mother tongue from India. Uh, so as you can see in this paper, so that comes up every time in this paper. So that's one thing I think uh, a lot of people didn't know or are not using it, but uh, I'm grateful that plant physiology is doing that. So I can acknowledge my mother tongue when I'm publishing paper in another language that is English. So this is one thing I wanted to share with the audience. Awesome. This is actually a great initiative. I was also, for the first time I saw in your paper that you have something on the parenthesis. Pretty cool. Yeah. So Sunil, uh, thank you so much. We are kind of at the end of the podcast. Uh, you actually helped us a lot to understand this paper. I learned a lot, I think I should say. And uh, if at the end you want to acknowledge some people who are instrumental for this project, uh, please, you can go ahead and do that. Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned, I, I uh, so James Schnabel, he introduced me to uh, comparative genomics and also uh, to start thinking about how uh, genome duplication impacts genomes in adaptation. But when I came to Chad's lab, that's when he introduced me to this uh, single gene duplicates, which are a very different class from the whole genome uh, duplicates. Uh, and also I came to Chad's lab with the intention to learn more about uh, how to analyze uh, DNA methylation data and then also look at other epigenomic um, factors like chromatin openness and other factors. So this project introduced me to analyzing uh, data from the genome, from the epigenome, looking at gene expression, making comparative analysis. So I think I'm grateful that Chad gave me this opportunity so I could learn all these analysis. I'm also grateful to the NSF-REU student, uh, Marshall, who initiated this project, uh, and then we took on and then um, um, went to other different species. So I think Chad and Marshall, uh, definitely I want to acknowledge them um, uh, for, for, uh, for helping in getting this paper through, and also the anonymous reviewers in plant physiology and in other journals. But also we got a lot of suggestions uh, from ex experts uh, who work on these kind of things. Some of them uh, include uh, Pat Edger, uh, Bob Van Buren, Shin Han Shu from Michigan State Universities. So every time we got reviews, we went to them with uh, with questions about what they think we should do next. So they have helped us in, in, in making this paper better. And also I think uh, Bob Schmitz has also helped us in trying to take these reviews and then seeing what we can do to help address some of the concerns of the reviewers. So I acknowledge all their help in making this paper better. And I know I have talked to a lot of people about this paper and got uh, insights from them. And if I'm forgetting someone, I, I apologize for that. But I had talked about this paper in multiple conferences and I've got really good feedback from a lot of people that has helped me improve this manuscript. So I acknowledge all of them, even though I, I, I don't specifically name them here. Oh my gosh, Sunil, you're so prepared. I really love that you try to acknowledge even you went to conference and all this suggestion. <laughs> I often forget to acknowledge all the people. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for sharing the whole story of your paper. Uh, and thanks everyone for listening. I hope we'll come back with another great paper and another story next episode. Yeah, thank you so much.